Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. I uh, hope everyone's having a nice Christmas season. Wanted to just give a little news roundup today. I actually kind of forgot about something that I should have included in the video yesterday. And uh, I saw A.D. Robles was talking about it on his podcast. And that is the Gospel Coalition's article on where they mention, at least, Kyle Rittenhouse by a pastor, I think it's Copeland. Uh, but it's basically says that Kyle Rittenhouse is a mass shooter, just like Dylan Roof was a mass shooter, and uh, that implies some things about Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, they've changed the language in the article a little bit, but the meaning isn't really that different. So I'm going to show you the changes they made, and, and then what they're doing to cover it up, which that's the interesting thing to me. So the show yesterday, I talked about how evangelical elites just won't apologize, can't apologize, it's just not in their nature. Um, they'll respond to pressure from the left different than the right. They could do fake apologies to the left because they're not real apologies. They can apologize for their their implicit bias or something like that, but it's, it's something that was baked into them because of factors outside of their control. So it's not a real apology, it's apologizing for the sins of the crowd. But with conservatives, they, they actually expect a real apology. Leftists just want you to be part of the revolution. Conservatives want like a restoration of a relationship and that's something that they won't do. They won't go there. They won't actually admit that the conservative analysis is correct. If they have to fire someone, if they have to change something, uh, they're, they're just very um, apprehensive about that. And it, it's just rare. I can't even think of a case where it's really happened, like a true apology. So uh, I want to talk about that a little bit because it really fits in with what we were talking about yesterday. Uh, and, and just do a little news roundup for you as well, uh, things that uh, I, I've been seeing this morning. So this is one of the things Fox News uh, reports, and there, there's a number of outlets talking about this, that the Supreme Court is hearing oral arguments in a case that could overturn landmark abortion ruling in Roe v. Wade. I'll just read some of this to you. The scope of, the abortion, uh, of abortion in the United States is at stake Wednesday at the Supreme Court uh, they're going to hear oral arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health, potentially the most consequential challenge to the 1973 Roe v. Wade landmark ruling. Uh, here are some key details about the case and what you can expect. State of Mississippi will be arguing that the Supreme Court should allow it and other states to ban abortion after 15 weeks. All right, so this isn't like even a full ban. This is just after 15 weeks. More specifically, it's asking the court to strike down a lower court's decision blocking its 15-week abortion ban from taking effect. Passed in 2018, Mississippi's law encountered a legal challenge from Jackson Women's Health Organization, an abortion clinic uh, that claims it's unconstitutional. The court's nine justices will be present. Uh, and let's see. Okay, so this is, this is pretty much the gist of it. And it gets into a little more detail here. Uh, but um, there's already some people that uh, high levels who have weighed in, including uh, John Roberts, who's basically saying we're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, not not going to happen. And I, I would probably tend to agree with him. I don't think it's going to happen. But we can still, you know, I, I would still pray. Obviously, we should pray whether this court case was happening or not, that uh babies' lives would be saved and that there would be, um, honestly, I usually pray more that states would take a stand and actually stare down the federal government. I know that's really hard. It means getting federal funding pulled. It means all kinds of horrible things said about you in the media. It, it's just, it's a circus, but that's probably the only way this is really going to happen in my mind. Now, could it happen on the Supreme Court level? I suppose it could. Uh, and question is, uh, does Amy Coney Barrett, does Kavanaugh, uh, do, do they, the, the new Supreme Court justices Trump has appointed, do they have the guts to really fight this? Uh, 
And if they have the guts, they could do something. And if they did do something, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm saying it's not outside of the realm of possibilities. I'm skeptical, but it is possible. So uh, let's pray for that. Let's pray for that today as this uh, unfolds. But don't, don't get your hopes too high and get disappointed uh, that I, I think what's happening right now is a lot of um, leftist outlets are really beating the drums heavy, saying this is a threat to women's health, and, and they're really trying to, to just get their base to really get energized. Their base really isn't energized right now, and this is one of the things they can use to strike fear into the heart of the feminists. And so I think that's part of the reason, because um, when we hear that as people who believe in the, in, in, uh, the pro-life cause and we don't want to see babies murdered, we get excited about that because the other side's freaking out. So we start to think, well, if they're freaking out, you know, maybe this, this could happen. And like I said, it is within the realm of possibilities, but uh, it seems very doubtful that it will happen with this court. So, um, so anyway, uh, we, we press on and we, uh, we hope for the best, but, we don't, uh, but we're realistic. That, that's what I'm trying to say. We're realistic about these things. And, uh, and I think in our local communities and in our states, we, that's where I, I would love to see uh, some, some real tough pushback. And I'm not talking about 15 weeks. I'm talking about full-on bans. Uh, but uh, in, in the state I live in right now, <laughs> uh, in, in New York, I don't see it happening, unfortunately. Uh, in some of these other states, Mississippi being a good example, you know, you really could have a movement like that, and it could work. And um, so uh, we pray for repentance and revival because that's the foundation uh, that would make for the end of this anyway. So let's talk about this article, Why I Hate August, uh, by Kay Edward Copeland, August 29th, 2020. Let's just find out uh, where it talks about Rittenhouse. I did a whole review of this at the time, but um, all right. So there, there's a number of things that talk about Rittenhouse here. Uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, it says, killed people in the middle of the street on camera and in front of witnesses and then smoking rifle at his side, casually strolled past law enforcement. He didn't run away. He didn't hide. He showed no fear. He assumed there was something about his person that would allow him to approach law enforcement with a visible semi-automatic weapon that had just taken lives and lived to tell about it. More than a few witnesses pointed out that he had just shot several people, yet he was able to leave the scene and the state. So this is like, it's outrage. I probably should have read it with a tone of like, Kyle Rittenhouse killed people in the middle of the street and then smoking rifle at his side. I mean, it's just, you can see the melodrama, you can see the disgust. Uh, he said, when armed shooters, Kyle Rittenhouse, Dylan Roof, etc., are apprehended without incident. So, so this was the this was the issue here. It used to say mass murderers here, I believe, and now it says armed shooters. That's their edit. <laughs> so, uh, and then later on in the article, uh, those who claim my convictions about Christ will be the first and loudest to castigate me for these observations. They'll be the most proficient at finding some excuse for Rittenhouse. So it still assumes Rittenhouse is guilty. This article still assumes it. It still is disgusted at Rittenhouse. It's, it's saying that the process didn't work, that... Uh, this is unjust, and the only thing they did was uh, they changed Kyle Rittenhouse from a mass murderer to an armed shooter. Big whoop. Uh, and, and then they put an editor's note here, updated on the 24th. Subsequent information has revealed that Jacob Blake was armed with a knife. Also, an earlier version of this article referred to Kyle Rittenhouse as a mass shooter. I regret these editorial oversights. Colin Hansen, editor-in-chief of the Gospel Coalition. Well, here's the thing. Edward Copeland, if you click on him, how many, what, how many articles has Edward Co... Ah, he's written a lot of articles. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven articles, I guess. And maybe some of these are podcasts. Okay, two, three, four. Four podcasts. Okay, five. All right, but he's, he's involved. He's involved with the Gospel Coalition. Uh, now, so, so this is 
this is the tack they're taking is and i don't know what's happening behind the scenes i can guess i don't want to guess though on the on the show i'll say what i do know obviously he's tied in with the gospel coalition edward copeland and he wrote an article that was wrong not just wrong because of a little phrase wrong because of paragraphs it, it was actually fundamentally wrong if you go through the review i did of this whole article and I think to soften the blow, possibly, but it's just interesting. They, they mentioned that, I guess, you know, that he should have included that Jacob Blake has a knife. Now, did they even talk? Let's see. Did they even insert language to that effect? They did not. They did not edit anything when it comes to that, I guess. But uh, maybe they did. Maybe I don't know. Let's see. Blake. Yeah, Blake is mentioned uh, a few times here. Yeah, there's still... Uh, <laughs> I don't know that they edited anything when it comes to Blake, but they would do want to note that he was armed with a knife, which is true. And he was apparently reaching for it when he was shot. Now, um, the, this is interesting because it's not an apology. Just like I talked about in the program yesterday, this is not an apology. There's no repentance. But there is somewhat of an admission here that they got something wrong, but it's, it, it's the wrong kind of admission, right? they will admit something uh, other than what they're being called on the carpet for. What they're being called on the carpet for is calling, um, uh, put, putting Kyle Rittenhouse in the same category as Dylan Roof and assuming he's guilty. That's what they're calling the Gospel Coalition on the carpet for. But they're going to apologize, and it's not even an apology. I should stop that language. They're going to admit something that's not what they're being called on the carpet for, something else. It'd be like if you, you know, reach in the cookie jar and took cookies and your mom finds you, as your as a kid and then you say you know i'm sorry that uh you know i didn't unload the dishwasher like you asked uh but or or i admit i, I admit i should have unloaded the dishwasher you know or something like that it, it's it's just it, it's sort of unrelated and that's what's going on here um they an earlier version of the article referred to kyle rittenhouse as a mass shooter so they that's the only thing that they're going to take out is that he, well he's not a mass shooter he's a shooter he's just not a mass shooter really little technicality in a way just little little minor detail that they're going to admit to try to i guess get the pressure off them but it's just an editorial oversight really like that was at the time this was written the the information had not even all come out but it it was even at that time you should have known he wasn't a mass shooter so why how come the oversight was made in the first place why like why why now Right, we know why, but um, and in an editorial oversight, no, that was actually the article. It's fundamental to the article that Kyle Rittenhouse is this guilty murderer. So it wasn't like a little editorial thing. You know, we used the incorrect grammar over here. That's kind of they're trying to like downplay it, and that's what's going on. So this is soft peddling the article, and it's not an admission of guilt. Now here's the thing. Now let's see if this still holds true. A.D. Robles called the Gospel Coalition on the carpet today for this. If you go to the Gospel Coalition website and type in the, the article, Why I Hate August, let's just do it. Why I Hate August. Let's see if it actually comes up. Nope, it doesn't come up. You have to have the direct link to find it. Now that should be interesting. It should be the first article here. Doesn't come up at all. Uh, and the reason that it doesn't come up, and, and let's actually, let's find out one more thing. If we type in K. Edward Copeland here, before I make my point, uh, let's type that in, shall we? K. Edward Copeland is why I hate August. Let's see. 
Nope, doesn't come up. And, and he's done a bunch of things, actually. Way more than I thought. Okay, there's t tons of references to him, I guess. I'm assuming, if his name's in these articles. So, uh, the article does not come up if you type in his name. Now, down here, if I, on the article itself, if you have the direct link, if you click on his name, uh, it will come up. Why I Hate August is right there. But not if you type it in on the general search bar at TGC. Now, why would they do this? They're shadow banning, and A.D. Robles pointed this out this morning, they're shadow banning uh, their own article. This is the way that they're dealing with it. They're scrubbing it. They're trying to make it hard to find. They're trying to uh, cover it up. They're trying to downplay it. Uh, they're trying to change the language ever so slightly, but not actually changing the meaning significantly. That's what they're doing. And it is a non-apology. It is, it's actually the opposite. It is them sticking their heels in and saying, we're not gonna get rid of this. We're sticking to our guns on this. And so it just proves the point of yesterday's podcast that uh, uh, the, these guys don't apologize. <laughs> they just don't. And this is something they just factually got wrong. This is such a clear-cut thing, but they won't apologize for it. Why is that? Why do they? Why, why the more you get into the social justice religion, it seems like you lose your ability to actually apologize. You can repent for the sins of the crowd in your mind, the white privilege stuff, but you can't actually apologize for something you actually really did. Just interesting to me. Okay, so um, last but not least, I want to show you this. This is something I saw this morning. I thought this was really interesting to me. And it's a, it's a, I guess, from France. There's a guy running for president, Eric Zemmour. And this is an advertisement, uh, that a political ad that he put out there. And I want you to watch this or listen to it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this advertisement. We probably won't make it through the whole thing. But it's in French, and I realize many of you are listening, so you'll see the images if you're watching, but you're not, you'd have to go to the original uh, video to see the music and uh, all of that. And, and it is powerful. The images and the music make it more powerful. But he says, my dear compatriots, for years the same feeling has gripped you, oppressed you, haunted you, and a strange penetrating feeling of dispossession. You walk in the streets of your cities, you do not recognize them. You look at your screens and you are spoken in a strange language and quite frankly foreign. You look uh, at your screens, advertising posters, TV series, football games, movie shows, songs, and textbooks of your children's uh, that you take on the subway, the trains, you go to stations, airports. Uh, you wait for your daughter or your son to come out of school. You accompany your mother to the hospital emergency. You stand in line at the post office or the employment office. You wait in a police station or in a court. And you have the impression that you are no longer in the country you know. Now, this is, we're only 53 seconds in. He's shown a lot of images of violence and kind of the, the dangers that are happening. And, I, and I've heard this from people in France uh, that have said that even Paris is it's just not the same. That it's just, and you could say this for many American cities, that it's just become unsafe. And, and that's what he's talking about, it's become unsafe. Um, there's issues with unemployment, there's, uh, and what do we attribute this to? And he says that the feeling you have is dispossession. I think that resonates with people. That is the feeling they have. And, and then he goes on, he recalls a time of nostalgia. You remember the country you knew in your childhood and he has old footage. You remember the country your parents described to you. You remember the country you find in movies or in books. The country of Joan of Arc, Louis XIV, uh, Bonaparte, Charles de Gaulle, uh, the country of knights and ladies. Victor Hugo, uh, he talks about all these heroes, Pascal, Descartes, the country of uh, 
uh, literature. He talks about literature and architecture and all, all the things that uh, you think of when you think of France. Versailles. Uh, I mean, he's bringing in all sorts of Voltaire. I mean, the, he's bringing in revolutionary types. He's bringing in uh, nationalist types. It's just this is what, you know, these are French people. Music. Uh, and he's got all these uh, different, um, uh, you know, movies and, and just all sh sorts of shots of things that would inspire French people in the greatness of their country, um, their technology, their nuclear power plants, uh, all kinds of things. So he's hearkening back to, I mean, this is make France great again, right? And he talks about the nostalgia that they have uh, and, and the idea that the country they cherish is disappearing. And he says, you haven't moved, yet you feel like you're not longer at home. You haven't left your country, but it is as if your country had left you. You feel like a stranger in your own country. You are exiles from within. For a long time, you thought you were the only one to see. Hear, think, and fear. You were afraid to say it. You were ashamed of your impressions. For a long time, you did not dare to say what you saw. And then you told your wife, your husband, your children, your father, your mother, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, and then you told strangers. And you understood that your feeling of dispossession was shared by all. Let me stop it right there. Can we relate to this? We're only three minutes in. Can we relate to this at all in the United States? A fear of sharing. Hey, I, I feel kind of like this isn't the same America. I feel kind of unsafe. I feel like we shouldn't have, and I'm sort, certainly abortion's been around now for years, but um, but I, I think there's still people who live before that that even would include that as, you know, this isn't who we are. But certainly the mass illegal migration, uh, the unvetting uh, or the, the lack of resolve to vet and to assimilate um, their, the socialist policies, let's just call them that, that have come down the pike, even when it comes to things like healthcare. Uh, and right now with the, the pandemic, uh, I don't even want to call it that because it's really not that, but the, the reaction to this virus, uh, I mean, it just doesn't, this is, something's up, something's wrong. Some, who are these people that are voting for this or are making these decisions? And the, the election and what happened last year, uh, burning down cities. Be, I mean, you could you can see a lot of parallels here. And it does feel like dispossession. Am I even in my own country anymore? He taps into this. He said, France no longer is France, and everyone realized that. Of course, you have been looked down upon. I mean, this is the second part, the powerful, the elites, the self-righteous, the journalists, the politicians, the academics, the sociologists, the trade unionists, the religious authorities were telling you that it was all a decoy, that it was all wrong, that it was all bad. You figured out over time that they were the ones who were a decoy, that they were the ones who had it all wrong. They were the ones who were harming you. The disappearance of our civilization is not the only issue that plagues us, but she towers them all. Immigration is not the cause of all our problems, although it makes them all worse. The third worldization of our country and our people impoverishes it, and much as it disrupts it, ruins it as much as it torments it. And all the images, just for those who are listening, shows the burning of churches, the taking down of monuments, the... Uh, 
uh, people who are, you know, the homelessness. I mean, if you, have you been to Portland, San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles lately? Uh, have you seen the homelessness at some of our major cities? It wasn't like that even five years ago. It's 10 years ago. I can tell you that from my own personal experience. It wasn't like that growing up. I, I'm originally from Southern California. We go back and visit every year. It's, it wasn't like that. And he's saying something's wrong. Now you may have a hard time making ends meet. That's why we have to reindustrialize France. That's why we must rebalance our trade balance. This is the Trump agenda. Reduce our growing debt. Bring our companies that have moved back to France and put our unemployed back to work. That's why we need to protect our technological treasures and stop uh, and selling them off to outsiders. That's why we must allow our small businesses to live and grow and to pass, uh, be passed down from generation to generation. This is, by the way, I'm going to just keep going with this, but this is the heart in my mind of what actual true paleoconservatism, real conservatism is. Uh, it is the preservation of true and valuable things from the past, but it's, it's the belief in the existence of an R. Yeah, and that's so fundamental. You, you have to have a possessive. You have to have this is our land, our country, a, a place in which there's boundaries. And within those boundaries, there's certain rules that apply. There's certain, and not just rules, there's an inheritance, there's benefits, there's things that are passed down from one generation to another. Uh, society uh, is not just a communion of the living. It's the dead and those yet to be born. It is something you pass down. And this is inevitable. This is just in the nature of a society. And th that's what's being broken down right now. You're, 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 you have people that don't believe in an R. If they believe in a possessive R, it's them and their elite friends, their globalist elite friends. It's not the country that they, they live in. It's not the state they live in, the community they live in. It's global elites that they want to be hobnobbing with. And, and that's why they have no problem taking down cultural things. Uh, they, they have no problem destroying architecture, national heritage, landmarks, monuments, uh, bringing in people with that speak different languages. I mean, that this, but they don't realize that this all builds mistrust. You can do it slowly. You can do it gradually. You can do it over time, some of these things. You can, we, we've always done that. We've always had immigration, but you can't do it at the rates in which it's happening today and expect to maintain the glue that holds society together and maintains that R, that possessive R that makes you want to take, to, to sacrifice for others, to trust others, uh, to actually go to war and defend others because they're part of your group. They're part of the people that you love, the tangible people around you that you know. That's what we're, that's what's being destroyed. It's that Norman Rockwell world that we know in the United States that we romanticize but we can't seem to articulate politically, and the neoconservatives don't do it. Today's conservative class just they they don't do it. And uh, for those I know, many of you listen because you're, you're you're not here for the politics. You're here because you know you want to hear about the social justice in the church. Well, this is all part of it. Why are the social justice advocates in Christianity doing what they're doing? Why are they pouring cold water on anyone who would say what I'm saying right now, or the obvious truths of what Eric Zamora is saying? Why would they do that? What what what's motivating them? Um, the Bible certainly, I mean, if you want a document, if you want wor a work of antiquity that would reinforce the idea that there is a possessive R at the base of a people that builds trust uh, and that the, the community is not just about the present people living, but past generations and bequeathing things to future generations, then look no further than the Bible and the nation of Israel and the example we have in the nation of Israel. So you, you cannot 
you know, this is totally within the the boundaries of of what would be considered a Christian understanding of just basic definitional uh, reality. But that's what's being questioned and subverted. So he says, that's why we must preserve our architecture, cultural, and national heritage. And he has great... (laughs) uh, He says, that's why we must restore our Republican school, its excellence, its cult of merit, and stop handing our children to the egalitarian experiments of uh, (laughs) if I can say that, uh, pedagogists, there we go, and doctors' strange love with theories of gender and Islamo-leftism. That's why we must regain our sovereignty. For those who don't know, in France, they're they're not dealing with the same kinds of immigration issues as we are. They are, they are dealing with that issue, but it's more people coming from the Muslim world, and it's changing France. We must regain our sovereignty, abandoned by the technocrats and European judges who have stripped the French people of their ability to decide their fate. In the name of uh, Chimera, uh, Chimera, Chimera, I guess. Oh, I've lost it. Where go back here? Uh, of the of a EU that will never be a nation. Okay, so he's basically saying the, uh, the European Union is against them. Yes, we have to give power back to the people, uh, take it back from the minorities who never stop tyrannizing the majority, and from the judges who substitute their legal rule for the government. Of the people, by the people, for the people. For decades, our rulers on the right and on the left have led us in this fatal path of decline and decadence. Right or left, they lied to you. Hid from all the serious... Uh, all right, so, so he talks about their downgrade. We're only... We're, we're, we're a little over five minutes in. I'm not going to continue this. It, it keeps going along these lines, but it, it's powerful. I would, I would actually suggest you going and watching it. Eric Zemore, I'm running for president. I posted it on Gab uh, and Facebook. Uh, here is my... This is what I said about it. This is one of the major things missing from much of modern neoconservatism. Conservatism isn't so much a, about a list of abstract principles as it is a love for one's people. It doesn't, by the way, I should say, it doesn't mean there aren't principles. There are, but it's, that's not what it is. It can't be reduced to just that. A recognition that threats to their identity and safety exist and a willingness to fight for their preservation. When kitchen table conversations and concerns are ignored on a national level, you know there's a disconnect. Today's conservative elites look for approval, meaning, and a sense of belonging more from other elites than they do their own constituents. In fact, it's worse than that. They are willing to sacrifice their constituents if it means acceptance among the elites. Uh, Eric Zemmour, at least according to this ad, is not willing to do this, and he's not afraid to sacrifice for his people. Uh, I'd say bravo, you know, in the British, the British term, bravo for for his bravery here. And I'm sure he's been calling Nazi and a far right guy and all the rest of it. And I don't know what else he believes. All I saw was this ad. But this is we need more of this. This is what this this is just obvious stuff. You're just saying obvious truth. That's the, the interesting thing to me about this video is all he's doing is saying the obvious. And Saying the obvious now is is horrible. You you can't do that. You're you're a racist, a horrible racist if you do, and uh, and I've certainly run into that myself by just saying obvious things, uh, and saying, hey, we're not the same country we were ten years ago. And and I I I could I could put names with this, and I'm I'm reluctant to do that because there's so many names of people that I have hope for that I want to see this, but. There, there's people that even in the church who consider, are conservative, right? They say they're conservative and, they, and they'll even say in the modern lingo, they're based or something like that. And yet they're saying things sometimes that leftist liberals, I should say, the liberals, you know, Democrat party members would have said 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And they're saying, well, that's really bold and stuff today. And it's like just super obvious stuff. 
and and they're and I see the Overton window shifting. Even among those people, there there's certain things they're not willing to defend anymore. There's certain things that they're even soft pedaling, but they're the strong ones. They're the and and that's when you deny reality, when you deny the created order, when you deny uh, natural hierarchies and relationships, and when you uh, seek to take down the past and you're okay with people doing that and you're afraid of opposing it, I don't think you're conservative anymore. And I have hope for some people that wanna be conservative on other things, but they have this tendency that they'll realize it. But I, I think we're in a country where uh, just some very obvious truths about basic truths, men are men, women are women, society's built on trust and a common identity and you need that and you, uh, these are things that uh, that you can't say anymore. So anyway, um, wanted to just let you know about that to encourage you. There are some people saying what needs to be said. And uh, and I think this is what Trump tapped into for all his imperfections, for all the things that I didn't even vote for him in 2016 because of so many of the things. But th he was saying obvious truths that so many others who might have even had better principles and had thought through some areas deeper on some issues, they wouldn't say. They were, and, and it's cowardice. And that's the thing that I think moving forward, I think that's gonna be what's in high demand. People are gonna start to realize they're, they're, they're gonna want brave people willing to make sacrifices for their people. It's gonna, same thing in the church. They're gonna wanna follow brave pastors willing to take shots, willing for the media to call them racist, willing to, to suffer deprivation. They're not, over time, there is going to be more exposure to even the, those quote unquote conservative people that haven't been willing to take hard whacks at what's actually happening. And uh, they, even the ones that may fashion themselves as uh, you know, strong and they're um, unapologetic and those kinds of things, those kinds of things will eventually be exposed because those who are standing firm when everyone has to bow to the statue and you have three that won't do it, they're gonna stick out like a sore thumb. And I think we're seeing more and more and more of that. And my recommendation is stick with those people. Stick with the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Stick with the Daniels. Don't go with the, the people who are on the fence. Don't go with the appeasers. Don't go with the, the uh, people who are, yes, we, we need to, uh, we need to take a whack at the social justice stuff. We need, we should, we should stop this mass immigration. But you know, at the same time, uh, we, we we need to realize not all these people are bad who are promoting this. Or we need to realize that, uh, you know, we, we got to be very gentle in the way we have that that kind of temperament. Because I hear this all the time, that kind of really cautious, uh, careful, and just afraid. That's what it is most of the time. There, there's wisdom. We need wisdom. But when, when you can't say obvious truths, and this is my whole point, when you can't say obvious truths because you're afraid of what's going to happen, that's when, that, that's when I, you, you're, you've left wisdom. You've left, you're, you're, you're in fear and you're calling it caution. You're calling it wisdom, but it's just fear. That's gonna be exposed more. And I think it's happening. I think it's happening in France. I think it's going to happen more and more in the United States as time goes on. It's easy to create an image. It's easy to... Uh, put out an advertisement, even like the one we saw. Like, I don't know this guy. I just know the ad he put out. It's very bold. I don't think someone would put that out if they probably weren't willing to suffer some deprivation of some kind. But uh, it's easy to make yourself look a certain way. Every election, uh, it's easy to for a Republican candidate who's never held a gun in their life to put on some new hunting gear that he's never worn and then, you know, hey, uh, look, I have a shotgun, right? But people are seeing through that more and more and more. Uh, it's harder to say things that are going to get you in trouble. And I, and I think that's that's what's going to be in high demand. So I'm encouraged by that to some extent. I just thought this was a, a great ad.
And uh, so I, I hope that you appreciated <laughs> the program today. It's uh, not like a typical program. I didn't have a slideshow uh, to go through. I just had a few things I wanted to share with you. And uh, I, I just hope it was interesting to you and encouraging in some way. More coming later this week. I got a bunch of book reviews, by the way, I'm doing. And I, I, right now I'm halfway through a book. I think it's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, something like that. But I have like three or four books that I, in the queue that I need to, to review. And this is one of them. Many people have asked me to read it. I didn't really want to, but I... I said, okay. <laughs> so I did. Uh, or I am. And I have some interesting thoughts on it. I, I probably, at this point, there's some good things I can point to in it, but I, I probably wouldn't use it. And I'll, I'll explain why that is uh, in a future episode. But anyway, uh, God bless. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.